Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The Oscar contender drama Mass opens in DC theaters today. I spoke with the cast and creators, starting with actress Anne Dowd, who plays the guilt-stricken mother of a murder. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Listeners will know you from, gosh, the, the leftovers. You were terrifying as the head of the guilty remnant. <laughs> terrifying again in, um, in The Handmaid's Tale. But um, but this is a this is a different side. We see we see a mother in in pain and loss, and um, I don't want to. I guess I don't want to spoil what exactly what it's about. But this is much more intimate role than the ones we just mentioned. This is a you know four of you around a table, and what attracted you to do so, something that's almost like a table read on screen? Well, of course, the, the writing uh, was so powerful, uh, and I felt really grateful and honestly honored to be part of it. And I think what goes on in this film is significant uh, for all of us. Uh, and to be able to step into the life of a human being who has levels of grief and guilt that are impossible to describe, uh, you know, the, the, the profound hope was to be able to drop into her life in a way that would honor her and the many, many, many people who suffer as a result of this kind of loss. I thought very beautiful role. Oh, absolutely. It's it's a very different kind of loss too. So we have, obviously have Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton on one side of the table. They're dealing with a, a grief that's really not of their own making. And then you have you as Linda and, and um, your husband, Richard, played by Reed Burney as a different sort of grief I can't, I can't even say that it's of your own making, you know, as parents, you, you do your best, but um, there, but there's more of a guilty side to your conscience compared to the, the other set of parents. Oh, well, yes. Yes. And, and also, you know, the, the amount of grief and pain uh, uh, as a mother, uh, what did I miss and how did I miss it? You know, our hope is with our kids, you, your eye is there and you are present and aware uh, so to keep going down those roads of how, how did I, and also the need to, exp you know, we're, we're, you're outcasts, you know, we are, um, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of not being able to bury your child. Um, and of course, we understand that, we meaning Linda, and however, I mean, we understand why people are, uh, but, but. Oh gosh, it's it's an unbelievable journey, uh, uh, and finding your way back to some level of life. I, you know, how does one do it? I, I, I just don't know it's, the strength it must take. 
It's so powerful. And yeah, I don't know how anyone comes back. I mean, you come, maybe you, if you're lucky, you come back as a shell of your former self, but you're probably broken forever after that point. But yes. And, and I think Linda's strength, if you will, is the awareness that, I mean, it's, is the, the, the idea that all defenses just, uh, there's no point to any of that. Just put it all down uh, and take one step at a time. Absolutely. Talk about you and, you know, your, your relationship with, um, you know, your, your on-screen husband, or I guess, are they, are they estranged or, or, or yes, they are. at that point? Okay. Yeah, they are. They are. And I think I, it makes total sense that they would be, they totally. experience life differently and they experience this profound loss very differently too. Um, these are things I'm putting together for myself, but I think what, when you see in, in the film, you see, uh, they, they, and I'm sure that the marriage itself probably was difficult and Linda was the one who always tried to keep the peace and tried to keep everybody okay. But when this happens, um, no, it, 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 life becomes about something else. Absolutely. Well, talking about crafting that that strained relationship, marriage, those parents with with Reed, how much of a pleasure was he to? Because he almost comes, he almost comes off. I mean, all of you are humanized, which is what I love, all four of you. But I guess he's he almost comes uh, across as almost the, I guess, antagonist if you have to pick one of sort of the uh, the aloof. aloof well, guy. He, I would say he's the one who's most protective. Yeah. Do you know, um, that, is, that is the way he moves through his life. That's the way he survives. Uh, Reed Burling is an entire pleasure to work with. And though it may seem entirely inappropriate, we did a sincere amount of laughing. Bernie is a very funny guy. Uh, um, and in that kind of day of shooting with this material, those periods of laughter were essential. Do, do, do you know? Um, oh yeah, absolutely. L and, little, little moments like, the big setup of of we're gonna have the the tissue box on on the table. Oh, let's move it off, and then immediately you come in and you go bring it back over. There's like little moments of comedy within. <laughs> within. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly as in life, so to speak. You know, right. Um, irregardless of the situation, we're human beings, and we. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he, yes. so Reed was your on-screen um, estranged husband. Um, but speak to the other side of the table, Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton. Boy, oh boy, powerful performances just portraying what they have to portray. Talk about working across with them. And and I mean, Jason, God, I think he could win a freaking Oscar for this. Like you, you as well. But um, talk about specifically, you know, not only working with him, but Martha Plimpton. You guys have a bond in that in the movie Mother to Mother that that transcends this whole thing, I think. Yes, uh, working with, with the four of us, I'll tell you, uh, it was a privilege um, to work with those actors. And we were all very close, uh, even though we didn't know each other uh, until we started. Uh, there was a level of trust that happened very, very quickly. Uh, we all come from different places, these characters, you know, uh, and the same with these actors. We, we don't approach things the same way, but being able to find a way to work together, which happened naturally, was a, a fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and uh, just an extraordinary experience. Awesome. 
Well, um, I know they they gave me strict orders to cycle you guys through pretty quickly, so I could talk to you forever. But it's I will say it's it's such it was such a powerful movie, and um, I know little movies like this can sometimes get lost in the shuffle. But I'm gonna really really push push for this one because I I Thank think you. I, I think you all should that. be there for Oscar Oscar season. Thank you. Thank you very much. All Have right. a wonderful day. And you too. Good luck thank with everything and your family as well. Oh, thank you so much. You too. Bye-bye. I next spoke with actor Jason Isaacs, who grieves the death of his son. Hey, Jason. How are you, man? Hey. Nice to talk to you from one Jason to another. <laughs> exactly. What do, they, what do you get shortened to? What, do you, what does your name get shortened to? Uh, sometimes Jace, or my last name's Fraley, so a lot of times they'll say Jay Frey. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm Jace to my friends and then people who meet me and want to be familiar call me Jay and I never I feel bad correcting them that's just not the thing I've set my life being called that it freaks me out yeah Jay's Jay, Jay's its own standalone name it's I know I know thing. other Jays and we're not Jay I play Jay. Jay in this film and that's like I know it is a whole different uh, person yeah well, that maybe helped you separate it in your mind from your real. Yeah. <laughs> There's much that, that, that separates him from me. Yeah. Well, I'll call you Jace then. So, hey, um, thanks so much for joining us, man. Um, Mass is is such a such a powerful movie. It is. Um, I I, I sir, I I'm gonna be rooting for you for for an Oscar on this one. I think it, you crushed it. All all four of you. All four of you. You know, but, this, it's an odd thing. You know, it's very flattering when people say nice things about you as an actor. But I've been the same actor for thirty something years. I try and commit the same level of truth. The only times that I've ever had attention personally for me are the times when someone has written something utterly brilliant that, that somehow conveys the human condition in a, in a 3D complex way and offers a sprig of hope as well for life being a better, you know, that life can be better. And, and at those times, the actors get the attention that really should be given to the writers. So when I, the flattery that's coming our way as performers uh it's not that we don't like it you know it's always very nice but uh, i hope that it leads to people watching the film because the film has something incredibly uh powerful and useful and inspirational to offer uh, everyone you know as good stories always do but particularly in these divided times oh yeah absolutely well talk about um why i mean you sort of alluded to that you that you were attracted to the project because of the writing but um was there something special about wanting to do the role in terms of, you know, you've done Harry Potter and the Patriot and big, you know, you na nasty villains in those, but um, was it, was there something attractive about doing something more stripped down? I mean, it's just the four of you around a table for the whole thing. It's, it's almost like a, a table read come to life. Uh, did you, did you appreciate sort of the intimacy of that, of getting to just sit down and do some really good character work with four amazing actors? Uh, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> It, it wasn't that it was stripped down and nor is it ever that there's lots of special effects and, you know, uh, whiz bang things on screen. It's always the story. You know, the, I, I find it really easy to lapse into hate and blame. And then I look at the rise of the right around the world and I see these, you know, strong men demagogues who are appealing to the worst instincts in human nature, which is to blame someone else for your trouble. And, um, and I find one of the hardest things to do in life is to wake up and feel grateful uh, for all the things I've got instead of angry for the things I haven't and, and uh, trying to find somewhat a scapegoat for the things that bother me. Um, and this film seemed to address all those things. You know, uh, I mean, we live in divided times, increasingly divided times, and, and it brings a bunch of people into a room whose lives are massively compromised and paralyzed and crippled by baggage they carry, and they're carrying hate, and it poisons them.
They're carrying, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've dug themselves these deep ditches and they can't see out of them. And something happens in the room. Something human happens in the room and uh, it makes the rest of their life a little bit easier, some of them, you know, in different ways. And that felt like one of the most important stories I've ever been lucky enough to tell. So it didn't really matter. It wasn't about the fact that I, I'll get to be with these amazing actors and we won't have to spend hours in the trailer that we're actually acting all day. It wasn't, you know, it was just, it's why I became an actor. It's why, it's why I was drawn to stories in the first place because they help us navigate our way through the world. Absolutely. I love, to your point, I love what, I love what is what is not said in this movie. A lot of movies will come right out and tell you what it's about right away, but um, the way Fran Cran sort of doles out the information. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way it's it, calibrated. Absolutely. That's part of it. It's a symphony. It's, it's beautifully done, the thing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much told in between the words of, you know, you glancing at Martha Plimpton as, as your wife or, or Ann Dowd and Reed Burney glancing at each other or, or the four of you. It's, it's, um, it's really... Yeah, the way in life, I mean, for anybody, you know, listening to this, but we open our mouths and we say words and like, do they ever truly express what we're thinking? I mean, are we, are we not running through a million things that we're not saying when other people are speaking and we're not either criticizing them or wishing they were saying something else? Or, you know, particularly, you know, in this film, my wife and I, Martha and I, uh, we've got a bunch of rules we've made for ourselves for, for this encounter. We've got a plan. The plan goes to shit, of course, because that's why it's great drama. But um, in well-made stories, it's always that. It's always the things that you're not saying or the things that you're trying to make the other person say that, and, and how that continually fails that drives the story forward. Absolutely. How do you, I mean, your character has some, I mean, all of you have heavy lifting to do in this, but your character particularly, and Martha, um, you know, you have such, how do you tap into that that grief? I mean, is there anything you pull from your own life? I mean, that is that is an Im unimaginable level of grief to play a character who's lost their son in such a way. And then when you recount revisiting the, the scene and seeing the chalk outlines on the, man, I mean, it's, how do you even, how do you even go there as an actor? I mean, what do you tap into? That is unimaginable. Well, I mean, it's, it is not unimaginable. Everything is imaginable. That's what actors do. Mm -hmm. we, we imagine we're in love. We imagine we're in hate. We imagine the world is being invaded. We imagine we're dying. We, you know, that's what we try and keep ourselves open to. And we, who knows what we tap into? I mean, I can give you pretentious answers. I can tell you, pull the curtain back on. <laughs> but the truth is that, you know, it, you, what you're helped by is a believable situation with you know and you you imagine yourself into it and then if you look at the other people and they seem completely to be who they're meant to be and the room you know it's not green screen this is a room where these encounters really take place you know people really did go in south africa to the truth and reconciliation commission and recount the worst things that anybody had ever done to anybody and sit with the people who'd done those things to their family right. these encounters between people who've lost people happen and uh and all of us, everybody is sometimes in, in, in a room with people that they really hate, you know, or should be. And um, that's my job. It's all of our jobs to imagine things, you know, and, and I, 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 I've, I've done it for 30 years and um, uh, it's incredibly cathartic, you know, I, I, as much as going out and having a huge physical experience is an amazing thing to come home at the end of the day and go, wow, I just jumped out of a plane. I've done that too. You come home and you go, I just had 
I took myself somewhere that I hope I never have to go to, but I, yeah, I took myself somewhere. And that's, that's the reason I, I do it partly, I think, because I think stories are really powerful and, and have value in the world. And partly because I selfishly like the extreme experience uh, that I get to live vicariously other people's adventures. Absolutely. And great, great. I, I love the reference you made with, you know, South Africa, people sitting, listening to in the same room with people. Um, the same thing was it the what the, the Charleston shooting. Uh, remember that horrific thing in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, the families mm-hmm. even stood and say, I forgive you. Like, I don't even know where that comes sure. from. But what um, what is what is your character going through? And I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a moment. Well, here's the thing. It's weird talking about the film in some ways sometimes right. because, you know, other films have uh i think it's enough time has gone by now to go they're all they're all dead in the sixth sense you know what I mean? or right, right, right. Goldblum takes a virus inside the alien planet you know the right. films have big plot twists or turns that that someone has sat and come up with our film has is maybe one of the biggest films i've ever been in you know it has enormous stakes i agree uh but the the plot twists and turns are to do with what people are feeling and when their layers fall away and when they're sideswiped by st- stuff they've been in denial of and so talking about it is really their plot spoilers yeah yeah no so uh, i'm i'm trying to avoid it but just uh, the only thing i i when i'm talking about it i don't know if the other actors are doing it and i know that people will be listening to this who are considering maybe seeing the film or not sure uh, the one thing i'd like them to know and take away is that it's a film that offers hope that you know these people have come to the room to to shed some baggage because their lives are fucked up by the things that they, you know, the certainties they think they carry uh, and by how they've characterized other people as responsible for it. And so uh, it's, I found it an incredibly inspiring, uplifting film, albeit that you have a big emotional experience watching it. And, um, but to break it down to what actually happens in the room, I think is, uh, they are spoilers. Yeah, I, I agree. To do it. Yeah, I've been trying to dance around it too. I, was, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about sort of the, that end that you know when you don't ask about the end don't yeah, ask the other yeah. actors about the end if you ask Dan about the end cut it <laughs> but I I guess I appreciate the the feeling of maybe solace or redemption or you know whatever Look, there is there is some hope in it. I wouldn't be part of a film that offered no hope right. but what it is is it's realistic and complex and it's a big messy human crucible and uh you know there's nothing Hollywood about the story and it comes from uh, real research and, uh, uh, you know, and it's not happy clappy. It's, it, it's, uh, but the, the, I was in a magnificent play called Angels in America many years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it takes all seven hours to convey what Tony Kushner wanted to convey. And it, it, I'm doing him no service by summing it up. Um, but part of what you get from it is that the world offers no easy, perfect solutions, but moving into any kind of solution, marching forward into the wind, is better than just curling up and being paralyzed. And, and you get some of that from this film. Awesome. Well, they're giving me the go home by hand Very signals well. behind. <laughs> but um, I really, really appreciate what you, what you guys pulled off here. And I am rooting. I will be rooting for all four of you in, in award season, particularly yourself. I think I think you crushed it. So um, I mean, I, I, it's phenomenal material and storytelling. So if I do get any attention at all, I hope it drives people to watch the film. So thank you. Absolutely. And then the childhood movie fan of me wants to thank you for the Patriot. Cause I still think that was one of that. Who knew when making the film, it would become such a staple of the American cinematic or cultural landscape. I can't tell you the numbers of people though, who come up to me in my life 
I'm going, oh, I, I love the Patriot, man, because uh, my fifth grade history teacher showed us that. And I go, and then did he tell you what really happened? They go, right, mm -hmm. right. And I go, well, you know, it's a fantasy film. That's not totally. exactly how it played out. And I go, really? Uh, so just for anybody <laughs> listening, it is a superb film. I'm really proud of being in it. But then maybe go and have a look at what really happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, just, I thought your guy was your character was just so dang. It was delicious. Yeah, Deliciously, I mean, was, yeah. I, I've I've never chewed the scenery so much. And that Roland <laughs> gave and Mel gave me license to create a real monster because he was enjoying all the things that he did, which is what makes you hate someone. Right. Well, in that one, you take a son away, Heath Ledger, and in this one, you're grieving one. That that's the best tie in I can do. So, it's, uh, it's something. Thanks, Jace. Appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> Love Bye. Finally, I spoke with writer-director Fran Kranz about his inspiration for the film, from the chaos of Columbine to the tragedy of Parkland. Hey, yes. hi, Jason. Hey, thanks so much for, for joining us. We just talked with Anne and Jason, and I'm so thrilled to talk with you. This movie blew me away. It's so powerful. So congrats. Thanks. Um, Thank you. Um, I know... Um, so our, our listeners might remember you, you know, as an actor, what Cabin in the Woods and The Village and some, you know, horror movies. But this is your directorial debut. I mean, um, talk about uh, why this was the perfect pit, uh, pick for your, for your first one. I mean, this is this is nothing flashy about it. This is four people at a table, almost like a table read come to life. And man, the stuff that the stuff that comes comes out in this is just amazing but why why was it cool to you know to make this your first one to do some such an intimate project like this yeah um well thank you it's really nice to hear that i mean it means a lot obviously you you can imagine this was really emotional uh writing it shooting it editing it and now talking about it it's 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 been such an emotional journey i mean look i i always wanted to direct or, or write and direct I had other ideas. I was even working on another screenplay or a couple of different screenplays in the years prior to Mass. I, I just got overwhelmed by it. Uh, the, after the Parkland shooting, you know, I was a new parent and I was listening to a parent on the radio and I, I pulled over. I had to pull over and I was driving in L.A. and just couldn't couldn't do anything. I got really overwhelmed and I I went straight on to Amazon and started buying books about about mass shootings, trying to figure out honestly what the what the hell was going on in this country and why this kept happening. And I was scared because I now had a kid and I didn't I just didn't know what to make of it. And I wanted to know how do you move on? How do you, or you don't move on, but how do you heal? How do you, how do you move forward? These were all things that really um, kind of, kind of these anxieties and fears that sort of started to take over my, my life. And so I became obsessive. I, I spent, you know, two years reading nothing about it. And then the movie came later. I didn't, I didn't set out thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to make a movie about this. I read about these meetings and I thought, oh my God, how do people do this? You know, what happens inside of those rooms? I, I, that, was, that was essentially what I felt like I needed to know. I needed to know how you heal, can you possibly forgive, and how do you move forward with your life? So that, once I read about those, I thought this is something I wanna, I wanna write about. And so that, that, that's when the movie kind of crystallized in my head. Oh, absolutely. So that's interesting to hear you say that it was Parkland that that sparked it for you. I mean, there's it's it's so tragically sad how many different ones it, it could have been. I mean, Newtown, I, I, I still can't get over Newtown. But um, yeah. when I watched your movie, the the one I thought of was um, 
was was the Charleston church shooting and, and hearing those stories of parents going in the courtroom saying, I forgive you. Like I, the place yeah. that that comes from, I don't understand. Um, that's, I mean, that's kind of, that. that's it. I, I, when I was younger, I mean, first of all, I, I can remember exactly where I was when Columbine happened. So yeah, of course. Well, yeah, well, you know, Parkland seems to be, you know, the, the, the origin of the sort of screenplay or how I started thinking about this. You know, I, I, I know, uh, just emotionally, I know that it all traces back to Columbine for me as well, that this, I was the same age as, as um, you know, the, I was a senior in high school. And it was deeply, deeply upsetting to be that age and to be in school on that day and to look around and, and have the world change and, mm-hmm. you know, for forever, really, in my mind. And um, so I think that never, you know, and I never really got over that. You don't forget about that. And so I think it, 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 it was sort of, a, you know, I... I I kind of had come this full journey as the high school students scared of these things and then the parent now scared of these things and I thought that's why I, I really felt like I stopped I dropped everything and devoted all of my attention to this and um I you know it but you're right it could be it could be any number of these and I I tried to as best as I could read about all of them another you know and other resources were the forgiveness project and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, because these were areas where I could read more about meetings like it, where you had victims or families of victims and perpetrators in a room together, working through the, the, the pain and the, and the loss and sort of trying in an effort to move forward in an effort to heal in an effort to forgive. And I just found that to be such courageous, incredible behavior. I thought, we, I, I, you know, you, we got to write about this. We got to tell stories like this because this feels like the kind of energy and action that would be really helpful today. Oh, absolutely. It's a powerful. And yeah, Virginia Tech, there's so many of them. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, in terms of filmmaking wise, um, screenwriting wise, I want to commend you for the script because thanks, you're doing some really cool, like so many, so many movies just come out and hit us with all the information, so much exposition, but props to you for you dole out the information in, it's almost like a, a puzzle where we're trying to piece it together and then you get more and more idea of, of what's happening. And I'm trying to avoid spoilers in these interviews, but um, talk about why that was important to you to sort of have so much, so much of what's conveyed is like in what is not said between the characters, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's, it, you, it's sparse, but you, you convey stuff. So almost like a mystery writer uh, talking yeah. about why that was important to you to, to kind of approach it that way. You know, it's, yeah, I appreciate that. And, and look, I, I welcome that aspect to it because um cinematically speaking, I think it's engaging and entertaining and intriguing to sort of try and figure out what's going on. That's, that, 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 that's of course, I think a, a good thing in, as far as telling a story, but I also knew and, and paid more attention to, well, what is just the reality of how these people would speak to one another? You know, they, they know what happened. So why right. would they get into a room and start speaking about the things that they know? They they want to they want to ask about the things they don't know. They're there to learn new information. So while I think it makes for an intriguing intriguing storytelling, I felt like it was also true to life, which was the main goal of the whole 
film was to present sort of real life, you know, to make the audience feel like they're really there. And these are real people having a real conversation, you know, having that, 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 that heavy realism was sort of critical, I think, to the film. Um, and it helps to have four just out of this world, out of this world actors, you know, just amazing actors. But no, truthfully, it was always about paying very close attention and scrutinizing the script and saying, well, wait, would this person actually say this or do they already know it? And what that did is I think it, it sort of drained the, uh, the script of unnecessary information or inf it, 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 that's, that's that restraint, I feel like, and the kind of mystery that, that the audience feels when watching it. I think really, if you, if you go back and look at it, it, I, it, you know, I think it all makes sense. You know, Martha Plimpton, now this line is in the trailers, so I don't think I'm spoiling anything, but it takes a good 35 minutes into the film for you to even really know why these people are there explicitly said. It takes a while to hear that. And I felt, well, they're not going to walk into a room and say, I'm here because of this. They of know why they're here, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, hands down. I mean, it could, it could work just as well on stage as a play. Like it's, 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 it's both engaging and as the mystery element, but it's also true to life. They, like you're saying, yeah. it's perfect. Those things are working in, in simpatico. Um, I know we're short on time, but you mentioned your four amazing cast members. Dote on them really quick, um, you know, just really quickly on each each four of them. Why, why was each one of them like the perfect pick for each of those four very important roles? I, I look, I never imagined having a cast like this. I mean, I this I was I'm very lucky, I'm very fortunate. I but I did I did know Reed Bernie through doing theater in New York. You know, we'd sort of known each other socially. I'd never worked with him, but I admired him so much. He's an incredible actor. So I, I actually wrote the part of Richard with him in mind. But the other ones I did not know. And, you know, as an actor, no one wanted to read my screenplay. <laughs> you know, you know, people just sort of run away from that. Oh God. And so I I, I, I hired casting directors, Henry Russell Bergstein and Alison Estrin, and that changed the whole perception of the project. It sort of legitimized the, the screenplay to have these representatives speaking for me. So it wasn't just this actor cold calling people. And as soon as they got on board, then I, then I started hearing from agencies and I, I just couldn't believe the sort of the, the names that were interested. And, uh, you know, I sat down and met Jason Isaacs for coffee in, in Venice and Los Angeles. I did, I zoomed with Martha uh, and, and Anne came on board last. And uh, it just, it's sort of an embarrassment of riches. And there's something I knew kind of going into it that, look, I, I really, these four actors are better than I am. And so I, it wasn't, it wasn't about telling them how to do things. It was about making sure all five of us knew exactly how to get from point A to point B and what these characters knew and what they didn't know. And so I, I invited them to be kind of co-authors in these, the final stage of the screenwriting because I wanted, I wanted to make sure that journey was effortless, so to speak, so they could get to these emotional places. You know, that it, it wasn't a matter of talking about how to become so emotional or how does one get to that emotional state. It was a matter of, making sure the writing would carry them there yeah absolutely well you're smart like they say surround yourself with with yeah people that, that raise yourself you know <laughs> yeah for sure yeah um, they make me look good that's for sure yeah <laughs> cool cool well they made you look really good or i think you made them look good man um cool well before we run final question um I had two things I wanted to ask you just my wife and i just from a, you know a film viewer perspective of you know yeah. um 
you leave a couple of things to let us leave us ponder. Um, what what's the takeaway from the red ribbon on the on the side of the road? You know, for for me, you know, it's funny that the look. I wanted to find a landscape to represent grief and how it evolves. How you you never really get over these things. It you you live with it differently, and hopefully, in a more you find a, a a way to heal and find a way to live with it more peacefully. So I wanted to find a landscape that might recur throughout the film, an image that you could see evolve over the course of the film. The tape is is more it's more literally just something that gets Jason Isaac's character Jay to it takes him back to caution tape. It reminds him of caution tape in a crime scene. So when he sees it, his mind goes back there. And that's that's an effort to key the audience into, this is an image that's going to represent a space in his heart and in, in his internal world. Um, and it was actually, that piece of tape was actually something that was there in Idaho. Oh. And it was there when I scouted it in September. And it was there when we came back in November. So it was kind of amazing. And I, because we had all this fake prop tape and I said, no, that's the tape. And it was a piece of old, you know, forgotten about survey tape, which I kind of, to me meant a lot because maybe I'm even reading too much into this, but no. you know, the, the broken survey tape to me felt like, a survey of the American landscape and where we are and, and what is happening in this country and this sort of lonely piece of tape that had been left there and forgotten about spoke to me about kind of to the heart of this problem and how is this still happening with such frequency. So the, the landscape started to mean a lot to me and obviously it recurs quite a lot in the, in the, in the movie. I, I love I love it. I love that you have such a deep answer about surveying American uh, <laughs> landscape. That's great. Um, and then real quickly, what what's the image that she stares at on the wall? Is it a painting? Know, I'm, out, I'm getting I'm getting this a whole. I'm sure lot. everyone's I mean, asking that, but well, I I really like. Look to me, it's about perspective shift. You know, there's a another point in the movie. We change lenses. We go from spherical to anamorphic. Sure. at a key moment in the movie to suggest that their lives have changed forever so that their worldview changed forever, their perspective of the world changed. And so right. we did that with a lens shift, but that's something else at the end that, you know, Martha Plimpton's character, Gail, she goes into the meeting knowing she's supposed to get something out of it, but she doesn't know how to do it. And she's afraid she doesn't even want to do it. And by the end of the film, she's arrived somewhere else. And I wanted to suggest that by her being able to see things that someone that the others hadn't. Right. And, and I, I don't want to, you know, I'm trying not to spoil things here. And sure, I, sure. It, it also has personal meaning to me um, because the painting on the wall is, <laughs> oh Jesus, I'm going to cry, is, um, you know, it's something that I <clears throat> had done with my own daughter. Okay. And it was, it was about, uh, something that's referenced earlier in the movie, it was about children's art. And um, there's concern about having children's art in the room of the meeting that it might be triggering. Yeah. And uh, it's, that's a painting that no one noticed. And then, uh, you know, yeah, she notices. I love it. And we can, <laughs> and we can see the painting, like if we go back and watch it again, I wanna go back and see if I can see it in the background. I'm sure it's there the whole time. So. It's there the whole time. We just never really call attention to it. Anyway, now I feel like I I've, I've spoiled the mystery, but yeah, I try to keep that one to myself. But wow, I haven't, I didn't make it far. I've only done one day of press, and there you go. <laughs> nah, it's okay. We'll we'll uh, we'll res we'll respect it. We'll respect. I don't know, it. you know, and I honestly, I, it doesn't read with anyone. Everyone's like, "What the heck happened there?" And I, you know, but that's okay with me. It's it's not, I think it's nice to have a little bit of mystery.
history and things that don't are left to interpret, you know? It's great. Well, I know they're giving me the go home. So thank you so much. It's a great movie. I'm going to be rooting thanks. for it. Although I think you guys deserve some Oscar love. So thanks so much. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.